Chia Hong was not a lucky man. During the six years he'd been working at the Ketam Quarry on Pula Uban Island, he broke three fingers on his right hand when he closed them in a truck door, sliced open his leg with a drill bit, and was dragged along the jagged earth when the hem of his shirt got caught in a conveyor belt. It was no surprise when Chia Hong was passed up for promotion. The foreman put a calloused hand on Chia Hong's shoulder and told him that maybe mining just wasn't the line of work for him. That's why early one morning before work, Chia found himself at the little yellow hut, kneeling before the enshrined Barbie doll. He brought out the perfumed water and offered it to the nameless spirit. Sprinkling some of the sweet-smelling liquid on his wrists, he prayed, just as the shrine's caretaker had instructed. As Chia made his way down the cut stone path into the quarry, he began to feel foolish. He was not a superstitious man, but his desperation had pushed him to it. Suddenly, his foot slipped on some loose gravel. Chia plummeted toward the bottom of the steep quarry. He closed his eyes and waited for the end. Suddenly, small hands closed around his shoulders and Chia heard soft giggling in his ear. He stopped falling. Gently, his feet touched the solid ground, and the hands released him. He opened his eyes and saw that he was at the bottom of the quarry, completely unhurt. The sweetness of perfume lingered all around him. He realized that his prayers had indeed been heard. Welcome to Haunted Places on the Parcast Network. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the German Girl Temple in Pulau Ubin, Singapore, where the spirit of a young German girl has become a Taoist god, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as ParCast's other podcasts on your favorite podcast directory. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, on Twitter, at ParCast Network, and at ParCast.com. Many of you have asked how you can support Haunted Places. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. Hidden among the whispering white heads of the Lalang grass on Pulau Ubin, a small island off the coast of Singapore, lies one of the most unique and enigmatic Buddhist shrines in Eastern Asia. Considered to be one of the last remaining rural Singaporean villages, Ubin Island should be a quiet, nearly forgotten spot on the map. But Ubin is home to a mystical place that draws hundreds of visitors, compelling people from mainland Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and even China to make the trek to this rustic paradise. The little yellow hut that houses the Taoist shrine does not immediately give off a sense of spiritual power. 
dense foliage closes in, littering its rusty tin roof with dead leaves. It would be easy to think the place had been abandoned. Inside, incense smoke drifts over offerings of perfume, flowers, makeup, candy, and used lottery tickets that rest behind an altar. Lording over these possessions atop the altar is an ornately dressed Barbie doll. The doll is said to represent the shrine's deity, a powerful being known to cure ailments and impart luck on those she deems worthy. That deity has been worshipped in Ubin for over 100 years. It's the spirit of an 18-year-old girl, the daughter of a German plantation owner. But how does a young German girl become worshipped as a Taoist god? Through blood and tragedy. They called her Gula. When she asked the Boyanese laborers who worked her father's coffee plantation what Gula meant, they told her it meant sweet in Malay. Frau Gula was very pleased with her nickname. She was a sweet girl. She brought the workers beer that day because of the unpleasant heat. And now she was rewarded with listening to her father Herman's passionate sermon. The workers filled the room as they usually did. But Frau Gula knew that in truth, many of the Boyanese were indifferent and only came for the meal following the service. It was spoken in German and incomprehensible to them anyway. Only Frau Gula truly hungered for the Lord's word. Her eyes lit up as her father spoke of the transmutation of how the soul could ascend out of the flesh and become something more. Her fingers worked the silver crucifix she always wore around her neck. At dusk after the sermon, Frau Gula went to the edge of the island, where a deep granite quarry was dug into the belly of the earth. Sitting on the quarry's edge, she watched the sun sink into the Indian Ocean. As the sun set, the clouds turned into spun gold and the rippled water became a glittering path of pearls. Frau Gula imagined the gates of heaven must look something like that, and her heart overflowed with gratitude for the island's beauty. But then, her eyes were drawn down to the British patrol ships that cruised along the shore like hungry sharks. The ships made Frau Gula think of the commanding British officer, Mr. Flint, an older, jowly man with the body of a scarecrow. Years ago, when Frau Gula was a small girl, she had listened from behind a closed door as Flint had tried to purchase the plantation from Herman, wishing to build himself a lavish bungalow. Flint's voice was harsh and gravelly compared with her father's smooth baritone. He shouted that if Herman and his brat daughter ever crossed his command, he would come down on them harshly. Frau Gula had peeked around the corner and saw Flint standing before the blazing fireplace, his long, crooked body cast in a dark, red glow. There was an edge to him, and his body was angled and rigid. Every limb of his looked coiled like a spring ready to violently lash and flail at a moment's notice. For a moment, she thought she was looking at the devil himself. Even now, Frau Gula had never forgotten that moment. 
The thought of it made her grip her crucifix tightly. The next morning, Frau Gula found her father in his study, frowning over a newspaper. Herman rarely frowned, and the sight made his daughter uneasy. She asked him what was the matter. He responded with a single, chilly word. Krieg. War. Frau Gula took the paper. It said that the leader of the fatherland, Kaiser Wilhelm, had declared war on the West, making the German people an enemy of most of the world. Hermann sent his workers home that morning. Some offered to stay and protect him, but Hermann would not have anyone hurt on his behalf. He spent the rest of the morning on the front porch of his plantation, waiting. From far off came the heavy sound of marching boots. As they got closer, Frau Gula and Hermann saw the long wooden rifle barrels moving through the rows of coffee trees toward them. The sharp points of the bayonet looked like rows of teeth in the open mouth of some terrible beast come to devour her. British soldiers in their tan uniforms emerged from the fields and came toward the house. Frau Gula watched as Mr. Flint led the soldiers on, surveying the vast plantation greedily. He smiled at her, revealing teeth the same rusty gray as the heavy iron shackles that dangled from his hands. Rain clouds blotted out the sun, and the distant roar of thunder made a shiver run down Frau Gula's spine. The hair stood up on her arms with sudden crackling electricity. Herman turned to his daughter, kissed her on the forehead, and told her to run. Frau Gula was an obedient child, and she took off into the rows of trees. She ran on and on. Tears filled her eyes. The sea. She had to get to the sea. Everything would be all right if she could just reach the sea. Her breath was ragged, and her heart seemed to burn like fire in her chest, but she kept running. Finally, the horizon burst forth. A briny breeze cooled the sweat on her brow. Once again, the setting sun unfurled its glorious light like the open petals of a flower. She heard another roar of thunder, but closer, much closer. Frau Gula turned and saw, in the dying light, a dark shape emerge from the trees. The shape was long and crooked, like a scarecrow. A sudden flash of lightning revealed Flint creeping toward Frau Gula. He was hunched and moved with a sideways gait, his intent possessed with something both energetic and terrible. His eyes glowed hellishly. Tendrils of smoke drifted from his pistol and seemed to orbit around him. Gula gripped her silver crucifix, whispering prayers underneath her breath. He raised the gun at her. Even through the smoke, she saw his horrible smile. Frau Gula turned and jumped. She felt like she was flying. And then she was falling. 
she had enough time to see the granite walls of the quarry rushing by her before she hit the ground. The next day, after the British had gone back to their base, the Boyanese came back. A few of them, safely hidden in the tree line, had watched Frau Gula flee from the soldiers. Now they combed through the rows of coffee and searched the vacant house, looking for the girl who had shown them such kindness, and made the search slow and painstaking. Several of the Boyanese wanted to quit, but a small voice seemed to whisper to them, urging them to find her. It wasn't until dark that they found her body, only a shadow among the great stone heap at the bottom of the quarry. It was pure luck that they found her in the dark. One of the Boyanese had seen the moonlight glinting off something at the bottom of the quarry. The shining was Frau Gula's silver crucifix. Even in death, she clutched it tightly, refusing to let go of her faith. The Boyanese were horrified to find her so broken, limbs bent and jagged. In the darkness, her skin seemed to crawl and they soon found that ants had swarmed over her and were gnawing away at her flesh. They buried her, and as the rest of the world broke apart in bloody tragedy, the small island of Pulaupin mourned the loss of a young German girl whose name would be lost to history. But her blood stained the hard rock of Pulaupin, and no amount of rain would wash it away. We'll learn just how deeply her blood soaked the island after this. Now, back to the story. There are no definitive records containing the name of the German family that owned the coffee plantation of Pula Ubin. According to research, that plot of land on the island used to belong to two Germans at one time, Daniel Brandt and Hermann Mullingan, but the identity of the German girl was never recovered. The legend says that on the 4th of August, 1914, the United Kingdom declared war on the German Empire and the royal colonies began seizing German businesses and properties. When the British military rounded up the German plantation owner, his daughter escaped into the woods. A few days later, her body was discovered at the bottom of the quarry. After the war, the German plantation owner was released from the British detention centers he came back to the island to recover his daughter's body, but he was unable to locate her tombstone. The German left Singapore and never returned. After the Boyanese buried Frau Gula, they continued to visit her grave, offering prayers of respect. Eventually, their grief dwindled, and the grave might have been forgotten entirely in time. But something strange began to happen. One islander stopped at the grave on his way home after a long day of fishing and offered a prayer. He asked for a fortunate catch. Afterwards, as he was gutting one of his fish in the kitchen, something unexpected tumbled out of the fish's belly. Eyes wide with surprise, the islander held up a lump of gold the size of his thumb. The next day, he told everyone how the spirit of the dead girl had rewarded his prayers. Most were skeptical. 
fishermen were known for their tall tales. But the next week, a young woman stopped by the grave and kneeled before it. She'd been born with a crooked leg, and the act of kneeling caused her great pain. But she gritted her teeth and prayed with all her might that the spirit of the German girl might heal her. A fresh pain shot down the woman's leg. The muscles throbbed and twitched, and she could hear the slick grinding of her bone twisting in its socket. Then it was all over. The young girl stood up on two healthy legs and walked home without a limp. Later, she told her mother that she could feel delicate fingers beneath her flesh, pulling at her crooked bones. Her mother, who had been one of the people who originally buried the German girl, thought of how the deceased limbs had been so broken and twisted by her fall. Unable to fix herself, Frau Gula had learned how to heal others from beyond the veil. The mother gathered up several other islanders, and together they dug up Frau Gula's remains and placed them in an urn. They made sure to seal the silver crucifix inside. They took the urn to the nearest temple so that more people might benefit from the spirit's power. And Frau Gula would not disappoint until she was betrayed in 1974. When the Aikwa Quarry Company came to Pula Ubin to take over the island's granite quarry, they realized they'd have to move the German girl's temple or else risk having her once again fall to her destruction. The islanders were not happy, but decided they'd rather have the temple moved than risk upsetting the powerful spirit. Until an islander received a terrible omen. Tam awoke in the middle of the night to his wife Faye, shaking and shrieking next to him. Her eyes rolled back to the whites, and she wasn't shouting in Malay, but German. Terrified, Tam shook her in a futile effort to wake her up, but she continued screaming. Her flesh crawled and wiggled beneath his hands. When he turned on the lights, he saw thousands of throbbing lumps on her body, as if her blood was trying to push through her skin. Nausea washed over Tam as he realized that something was burrowing inside of her. Faye suddenly turned to him, and the German slid from her mouth in a guttural condemnation. The shapes pushed their way up her cheeks, and then legions of red ants spilled under her eyes, falling to the bed like living tears. Tam jumped up, screaming in terror. He could feel tiny, scuttling legs all over him, and he slapped at himself hysterically. Suddenly, the ants disappeared. Tam looked back at his wife. Faye lay sleeping in their bed as if nothing had happened. There was no sign of the ants. In the morning, she had no memory of her nocturnal outbursts. Tam wrote down the long strings of frantic German as best he could, unsure of what he should do with it. He took the ferry to the mainland and had the German translated. What he discovered terrified him. He went to the representative of the Aikwa Company and told him they couldn't move the temple. 
He said that the spirit that resided there had possessed his wife and spoken a warning. He showed the representative the translated German. It read, kick over an anthill and misfortune will gnaw at your bones. But the representative said that his hands were tied. The temple would be moved. In a gesture of goodwill, the Iqua company paid to have a new concrete temple built on the west side of the island, painting the sides a bright yellow to make it easier to find to the dense greenery. They replaced the old urn, which had begun to rust, with an expensive ceramic Jiangsu urn. Several quarry workers used their experienced hands to sift the girl's remains, which were little more than dust, into the Jiangsu. Her silver crucifix clanged inside its new home. Even with the German girl's remains safely relocated, the villagers were uneasy. Any interference with the spirit made them nervous. Just because she'd always been a benevolent spirit didn't mean she'd remain that way. And they were right. We'll hear about the price of disturbing the German girl's rest right after this. Now, back to the story. One night, a few weeks after the German girl's remains were moved, a thief named Ho Chun came to the island. To avoid being seen on the ferry from the mainland, the thief rode a wooden canoe over the moonlight-dappled water. Hugging the island's coastline, the thief paddled silently until he spotted the yellow walls through the tree line. Mooring his canoe on the muddy banks, Ho Chun crept through the trees to the newly built temple. The door to the temple didn't have a lock. It was against the islanders' beliefs to keep people from their worship, no matter the time. Pushing open the door, the thief snuck toward the altar, his shadow engulfing the Jiangsu urn. A breeze blew in through the door behind him, bringing with it the sweet smell of perfume and a faint, pleading whisper. Ho Chun was not easily unnerved. He'd gotten in deep with some big-time gangsters on the mainland who ran underground card games. Night after night at the card table, Ho had built up debt until it cast a shadow large enough to swallow up his life. With a greasy steel gun barrel pressed to his temple, the gangsters had given Ho Chun a choice. He could donate brain tissue, or he could do a job for them. Ho had made his choice. Now, in the temple, he didn't hesitate as he took the urn and slipped away. As Ho Chun paddled away from the island, the urn sitting between his feet, a cloud moved over the moon. In the sudden darkness, he heard a strange noise, a steady splashing somewhere out in the black waters. And it was getting louder. His heart fell into his stomach as he realized something was swimming toward him. Out in all dark water, an even darker shape waded through it. The canoe suddenly tipped, nearly spilling the thief into the ocean. Something heavy and wet climbed into the canoe with Ho Chun. Without the moonlight, he couldn't see the invader, but he could smell them. A sickly sweet smell 
like rotting fruit, assaulted the thief's nostrils and turned his stomach. Some warm liquid pooled around his feet and the urn. A rattling breath came from the far end of the canoe, and Ho Chun could feel the invader moving toward him. The clouds parted, and moonlight broke through, illuminating the horrible sight at the end of the thief's canoe. A hunched figure, covered in a dripping wet shroud, lurched forward. The hands that emerged from the shroud were bloated and blackened with decay, but the thief could still tell they belonged to a young girl. The fingernails bore the flecked remains of nail polish. Blood ran out from under the shroud and pooled around the thief's feet. Ho Chun knew it was a pachong, a rapt ghost. Thinking quickly, he picked up the urn and threw it into the ocean. Without its tie to the physical world, the pachong would surely disappear. But the rapt ghost rose to its full height. Its shroud billowed as with its wearer's rage. The flow of blood coming from under the shroud was replaced by a different, squirming red tide. By the time the thief realized that the things coming toward him were ants, it was too late. They swelled over him, covering every inch of his body in stabbing pain. He tried to scream, but the ants flowed down his open throat. Elsewhere in the village, several young women awoke suddenly, screaming in German. When their parents were finally able to snap them out of it, the girls had no memory of what had woken them. Neither the urn nor the thief were ever seen again. When the villagers discovered that the urn had been stolen, they wept and tore at their clothes. They went to the quarry company and pleaded for them to do something, but the company believed there was nothing they could do. The urn was lost, and the matter was over. But they were wrong. After the urn containing the German girl's remains was stolen by unknown parties in the 1970s, another porcelain urn was placed in the temple as a symbolic replica. Even without her physical remains, worshippers at the temple still claimed that her strong spiritual presence remained. They continued to bring her offerings of perfume and fruits, hoping that the German girl's spirit would be content with the replica urn. But she was not. A week after the urn disappeared, the villagers awoke to find the shore of their island carpeted with rotting fish corpses. An unnatural amount of ants crawled over the stinking heaps, skittering over glassy fish eyes and swarming at the soft flesh of the gills. A breeze urged the smell into the village and the temple, a place that once smelt sweet now smelt of death. Next, all the flowers around the temple wilted and turned black. At night, a cloaked figure could be seen wandering the forests around the temple, and in the morning there were footprints swarming with ants. The villagers knew that their luck had run out. Their patron saint of good fortune had become a vengeful 
Pachang. They prayed at her empty altar, begging for a way to make things right. Their prayers went unanswered, until one night, a villager named Lin Qing had a dream. Lin had recently lost his young daughter to pneumonia. He prayed at the German girl's temple for his daughter's condition to improve, but his prayers went unanswered. When she died, Lin stayed awake for three days, weeping until there were no more tears left in him. Only then did sleep take him. And then the dream came. In the dream, a young white girl led Lin by the hand into a nearby store. She was beautiful and smelled of sweet perfume. Once there, she pointed to a shelf holding a single Barbie doll. Letting go of Lin's hand, the girl went up to the doll and gently touched the plastic cheeks. Then, turning to Lin, she touched her own cheeks and told him that she needed a face or else she would disappear. She told him to buy the doll and place it in the altar. The doll suddenly fell from the shelf and vanished. Lin looked for it behind the shelf but was unable to find it. When he turned back to the little girl, her face had changed. Rosy cheeks were now green with rot. Her blue eyes had become white with cataracts. She opened her mouth and a river of dark soil spilled out, wriggling with worms and stinking of the grave. Lin awoke in a cold sweat. He knew what the spirit wanted him to do, but he was angry with her for letting his daughter pass. So Lin told no one of the dream. The next night, a storm gathered over the island. Rain poured down, and with the rain came the dream again. When Lin awoke the next morning, the light of dawn revealed small wet footprints at the edge of his bed. Someone had been standing over him in the night. Lin followed the prints outside, where more footprints were pressed into the fresh mud. They led Lin all the way into the center of town and stopped outside a small shop. It was the same shop from Lin's dream. Still, Lin's rage persisted. He turned and went back home. But the dream returned for a third time that night. In the dream, Lin and the young German girl stood in the store beneath the Barbie doll. With tears in her eyes, the girl pointed to the doll and said that if Lin allowed her to disappear, she wouldn't be able to save the next sick child. The girl's face suddenly changed. Standing before Lin was his own departed daughter. Lin went to embrace her, but he passed through her like so much smoke. Something sticky clung to his arms, and when he looked down, he saw green mucus shot through with scarlet blood dripping down his shirt. He looked back at his daughter and saw she looked like she did on her deathbed, horribly pale, her mouth and nose tinged with bloody mucus. Lin awoke with tears streaming down his face. Finally, he went to the store from his dreams. Inside, he found the exact doll he'd been shown in his dreams. 
in the exact spot on the shelf. He bought the doll immediately and placed it in the temple where the urn once stood. He also placed a bottle of perfume at the doll's feet, just for good measure. The next day, when Lin went to visit the temple, all the flowers were back in bloom. The lingering smell of fish rot was gone. And again, the temple smelled of sweetness. Once again, people began to travel from far and wide to pay respect to the spirit of the Ubin Temple. The doll, which has been adorned in fancy robes and a golden tiara, rests inside a small box at the center of the altar. The spirit of Frau Gula has found her peace at last. But that's not to say she doesn't play tricks every now and then. Visitors to the island still report strange, unexplained shadows moving around the temple at night. Recently, a Singaporean film crew came to the island. Inspired by the stories of the German girl, they wanted to make a movie about them. They dressed up their actress in a German costume and brought her inside the temple. But as soon as she crossed the threshold, a very strange thing happened. The actress's eyes rolled up, and she began to speak in ecstatic German. None of the crew understood what she was saying, and before they could intervene, the actress collapsed on the floor. The crew managed to awaken the actress, who was unhurt. They asked what she remembered, and she said she felt the presence of someone enter into her. Then nothing. Luckily, the sound man had been rolling and captured everything she said on tape. Making use of a German phrasebook, the film crew deciphered what the spirit had been saying. Viel Gluck. Good luck. The German girl temple in Pula Ubin is a place of transformation. The spirit residing there is nothing if not understanding. She has withstood thieves and opportunists, greedy businesses and distraught fathers. So, if you find yourself on the Singaporean island, pay her a visit. Adorn her with the perfumes and cosmetics she so desires, and she may just grant your wish. But be wary of tampering too much. Frau Gula is protective of her little temple in the jungle. She's particular about her lair's design, and if it's disturbed, her wrath is known to be swift and terrible. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Listen to all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many of you have asked how to help the show, and if you enjoy Haunted Places, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. 
Haunted Places is written by David Calbert. I'm Greg Polson.